0: I know that most of you in this room are familiar with the phrase gifted and talented, especially from school. Some of you were were in, or maybe even are right now, in a gifted and talented class. Of course, some of you were never in a gifted and talented class. Some of you in this room, I know you have or do teach a gifted and talented class. I don't have a problem at all with schools doing things like that. GT classes have their place for sure. But the fact is, they only test students for certain kinds of gifts and talents. Most students don't meet the criteria to be in those classes. But students, just about every student would meet the criteria to get into some kind of gifted and talented class. Now I know some of you teachers thinking very cynically here, you've got students that their gift or talent is to be a terrorist. (laughs) Disrupt your class. Threaten you. I know. I hear a lot about those kind of students. But let's think about it more seriously. God has designed every person in such a way that we all have certain gifts and talents. And I know that some of you teachers who see some of your most disruptive students, you see within them the potential because you see a gift or a talent that maybe has not been in an environment where it could develop and especially not flourish. Maybe that's your goal to try to bring it out. But each of us in this room, Every single one of us, no matter what our age is now, we were created by God with specific gifts and talents that He intends for us to recognize, identify, develop, and then use in a way that will serve Him, serve His purpose, and benefit other people. And the question is, at the beginning, are you doing that? Are you developing your gifts and talents, your God-given, God-designed gifts and talents in a way that you can identify specific ways you are serving God, pleasing Him right now in your life by using them, making a difference in other people's lives with what God's given you, you're investing or helping them. Today, I want us to finish our stewardship series by looking at our God-given responsibility to be faithful stewards of our talents. Most of you were here when we've looked at how God has given us the responsibility to faithfully manage our time, our treasures. We're just looking at how God has given all of us the responsibility to take everything he's given us and use it wisely. Manage it to the best of our ability. Stewardship is a very important concept that every Christian needs to understand and practice. Because one day we're going to give an accounting to God for just how well we have managed what He's entrusted to us. I want you to look at an article. It'll be a reminder for some of you because I showed it the first day we began this series. Stewardship in all of life from the ESV Study Bible. Look at this, a good explanation of what we all need to understand. Whatever a person owns, he or she is to manage as a steward who is responsible to God. Stewardship responsibilities extend not only to the creation, material possessions, and natural resources, but also to other things such as talents or skills that have been given by God. Time and opportunities the wonderful responsibility of bearing and raising children and spiritual gifts and ministries. I want us to begin looking at our responsibilities, stewardship responsibilities, by noting what the Bible says about the way God has created us. God creates every individual uniquely and purposefully. God created everyone in His image. God created human beings. In his image. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Every human life was created in the image, the likeness of God. And nothing else in creation was created that way. Only human life, because of this, only human life is sacred. Now, I know I'm a dog lover, not a cat, but a dog lover. And I know that people in this room have dogs, cats, animals. And you would say, my dog, my cat, my animal's life is special. And no doubt it is. And I think we have a responsibility to take care of whatever we have. We have a responsibility to be good stewards of the animals that God has given us. As much as we love them, As important as they are to us, their life is not sacred because they are not created in the image of God, only humans. That makes us of worth and value unlike any other living thing in this world. But God doesn't make us in His image all the same, obviously. God creates us uniquely. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not you by accident. God made you. God created you to be you. From the time of conception, that's why human life is sacred. Human life in the womb needs to be protected. Human life in the womb that is destroyed is killing a living human being. It's wrong. It's morally, uh, biblically wrong. We need to protect human life. But the point I want to make here is God created you in his image, but look around. No one in this room was created just alike. No matter where you go in life, no matter where you go in life, you're never going to find anyone that looks or acts or thinks exactly like you. Because God knitted us together individually, uniquely. And the next point, for a purpose. God created us purposefully. Look again in Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God created us the way that we are for a specific purpose in this world. The prophet Jeremiah understood that God created him for a special purpose to be his spokesman, be his prophet. I want you to look at this. What Jeremiah understood. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Several Bible writers describe how God has a purpose for our lives by using the image of God forming us like a potter forms his clay. Here's one example from Psalm 119. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Now I want you to note there's two truths there. Your hands have made and fashioned me. That's the point I'm trying to make here. But David understood that God had created him just as he is for a purpose and David wanted to know, he wanted to have understanding so that he could be faithful to God in carrying out his purpose. He wanted to be able to do God's will, to keep God's commandments. And so it's sort of a double truth there. But look at one more, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We're all the work of your hand. Here's what I want to see in all these verses. It's coming to a point. The Bible is clear that our lives are not just our own. We truly belong to God. He created us in his image uniquely and purposefully. You look in the mirror. God created you like you are. Now we can be the best that we can be. You know, we can do everything we can do, to try to make ourselves, some of us need to work even harder to try to make ourselves look, you know, look better, what God has made. But we need to understand that God made us as we are. And God gave us talents. He gave us gifts. He gave us abilities. Some we just have, about, we're, we're born with. Some we have developed, really worked at, refined. But God has designed you to be you and gifted you for a specific purpose in this world. Now, I don't mean some kind of unique, far out something, but to be the person he's called you to be in your home with your family, where you work among the people God's put you with, the people that you go to school with, people that you play sports with or involved with in whatever way. And we'll come back to the question. How are you using what God has given you How are you you using what God has given you, gifted you, talented you with as a husband to impact in a positive way your wife, as a father, your children, as a wife, your husband, as a mother, as a child, as the person you are at work or whatever responsibilities you have in life? How are you taking... Or are you seeking to take what God has given you and use it to serve Him by serving other people? Are you using this to impact other people's lives in the most positive way that you can in your relationship with them? That's what God's calling us to do, generally speaking. Now I want to dig a little deeper to what the Bible says about. Being faithful with the talents God has given us as Christians. Number two, God recreates every Christian purposefully and uniquely. When the world was created, when God created everything in Genesis 1 and 2, everything was good, wasn't it? Everything was perfect. There were no flaws. But something happened. Because you look around at this world and you look in the mirror and you look at one another, nothing and no one is perfect, is it? Well, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3, the original couple that God created, Adam and Eve, they chose to disobey God. They chose to sin. And then when they did, they corrupted everything. That's why we enter the world with a sinful nature. That's why you don't have to teach your children to tell a lie to fight with a brother or sister, to disobey you. They have that sinful nature. They want to live life their way, not your way. We all want to live life our way, not God's way. We're natural born rebels because we have a sinful nature. And as we grow and mature, we find different ways to act on that sinful nature and actually do sinful things. The only way that, anyone can be rescued from this sin problem is through God's gracious salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, that means that God has done a special work of re-creation in you. What Jesus called a new birth. God has worked in you to give you the desire to turn from your rebellious way, selfish way, sinful way. God has given you the faith to understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he actually took the, paid the penalty for your sin, took your punishment. God has worked in you his miraculous new birth. You've responded by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus. God put his spirit in you. So you are now a new creature, new creation, the scripture says. We're going to think about it right now as you, are a, you have been recreated by God as a Christian. Now, God saved you for the purpose of displaying you as a work of His art. I want you to look with me at a passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. A lot of you are familiar with the first two verses, 8 and 10, eight and 9, rather. but I want you to really zero in on verse 10 when we get to it. Let's look at it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Look closely, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship, it was used in that day to describe various kinds of works of art, like a painting, uh, a sculptured stone, or even a piece of literature. This verse could be translated more literally, we are his work of art, or even we are his masterpiece. Now I want you to think, what Paul is saying here is, if you are a Christian, God is, considers you now His workmanship. You're His work of art. You are His masterpiece. It could even be said. Now the next phrase explains how God does this. It says, created in Christ Jesus. The word created refers to God's sovereign work of salvation. When God saves us, He recreates us, as I said a moment ago, by putting His Spirit in us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called to live in a way that demonstrates, that shows how God has worked in us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live in such a way that we show, we reveal that we've been changed by God when He saved us. Have you ever thought about how you And it all begins at home for all of us. But at school, at work, wherever. Have you ever thought about the people who see you, know you, interact with you? They're supposed to see an example of God's work in you. That's exactly what Paul is saying in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what people see, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verses 8 and 9 make it clear, we do not save ourselves by doing good things. Good works do not save anyone. But verse 10 clearly says that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus in order to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now hang with me one, just real quickly on, on this idea the good works described here refers to the God to our godly behavior in general, living a faithful Christian life, that Paul sort of identifies a lot of it in chapters four, five, and six of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians two, eight through 10. Well he goes on in chapter four, five, and six to point out ways that we demonstrate we're God's workmanship. He points out good works. He talks about doing things like using your spiritual gifts to serve other people. He talks about being sexually pure. He talks about how vital it is that we be people who are known for speaking the truth, not lies. He even says some things about learning to deal with our anger appropriately and in a timely way. He says that a part of our good works We need to learn to forgive people. Forgive like God forgave us. And he has some things to say about loving and serving the people that God has put into our lives when he talks about the responsibility of husbands, of wives, of parents, of children. There's a section in Ephesians chapter 6 that talks about slaves and masters, and the application today is talking about what kind of boss you ought to be, what kind of an employee you ought to be, where you work, how many people who interact with you on a regular basis see these good works on display in your life? Now, we all fail to demonstrate these good works more often than we like to admit. All of us do. I'm going to say a lot of people in this room, you left home this morning or at least arrived at church in less than a good mood because somebody was late. Somebody said something you didn't like. Something happened. And when you got here this morning, you were ready to get out of the car and separate from people you rode here with. I've been there, done that. That's just life. But think about the big picture. Are there more times than not? Is it more true today than when you first became a Christian that people can see evidence that God is at work in your life? God is smoothing some of your rough edges. God is helping you to clean up your language. God is helping you to work on that temper. God is helping you to be more compassionate, to demonstrate your love in more tangible ways. That's what God has saved us, worked in us, prepared us to be and do in this world. Demonstrate to people we are His workmanship by the good works, the Christian character that we're developing and demonstrating. But let's look at one more way that God works in each of His children. God saved you to fulfill a unique purpose in His family, that is the church. Look at this in Romans 12. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. And then from 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God gives every Christian at least one spiritual gift that he intends for us to use in the life of this church, in the ministry of this church. I think sometimes when it comes to spiritual gifts, Sometimes we as Christians overly spiritualize this idea. We wind up being more confused than informed about what spiritual gifts really are. I like the way Wayne Grudem just sort of boils this spiritual gift idea down and defines it like this. Look at it. A spiritual gift is any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. That is just my favorite definition of a spiritual gift. It is something that God gives us to use in and through the church, but it may be a natural talent that that you had before you ever became a Christian. Or it could be something special. To use Paul's imagery, each one of us is a body part in this spiritual body, calls the church. And if we're going to be a healthy church, all of us must use our gifts, talents, abilities for the good of the church, the good of the body, the good of the family. Just think about it. Over Thanksgiving Day, actually, I was throwing a football home with the family, and I got hit in the finger. And this little pinky got jammed and it's been bothering me ever since then. This little finger has been sore. It sort of irritated me to have to deal with it. You don't want to be in the life of this church a sore finger. That everybody knows you're here because you're just an irritant. You inflict pain and discomfort by your presence. But at the same time, you don't want to be something that doesn't function like a, uh, like your foot going to sleep. You ever been somewhere like at a doctor's office and you wait forever and maybe you're sitting in such a way and you don't really realize it, your foot's gone to sleep and you think, they're going to call me right now and I can't get up without falling flat on my face. You don't want to be that foot that's asleep that does nothing of value in the life of the church. You are a member of the body of Christ called Pickens First Baptist, if you're a member here and you're a Christian. You have God-given gifts, talents, abilities. Are you using them for the good, the growth, spiritual, numerical of this church? Are you using it for the benefit of people around you? Or are you causing an irritant or causing us not to be able to function just because you don't function? One more thought. Are you faithfully serving the unique purpose that God created and recreated you to do in this world and in this church? The best tool I've ever seen for trying to discern God's specific purpose for our life and for our ministry is Rick Warren's acronym SHAPE. I've shown it on several occasions. I want to show it quickly here because I think it can help anyone. In fact, if you are particularly a young person and you think, I don't know what I want to do in my life, look at this acronym. It can help you understand how God's made you, how God has shaped you to live in this world. But the point is, we need to see how God has shaped us to serve Him in the life of the church. That's the point right now. Let's look at it. Your shape. First is your spiritual gifts, your God-given spiritual gifts that we already looked at there. If you're just looking for what what I need to do in my life, think about your strengths. Let S stand for strengths for you. But then look at heart. What's your heart's desire? Where are your interests? You know, if you just really don't like children, I mean, it's like you're glad for other people to have them, just don't, I don't want to be around them. I don't have anything to do with them. Then you don't have a heart for children, so you should not work in a wanna You shouldn't be involved in our nursery. If you just despise children, that's not your calling for sure. But what is? Where does your heart sort of move you? A is for abilities, your natural talents, the abilities that you have developed. What can you do? God's not gonna call you to do something in this church that you just absolutely cannot do. That's not how it works. Your personality, your uniqueness, your individuality. Some people are more introverted, some are more extroverted, Some people, if you thought you had to stand up in front of a large group and do something, you would slip out right now and never come back. I can understand that. Some people, you've got to be around a group. Your gift is such, you've got to do it with people. That's your personality. The last one, experiences, your life experiences, good and bad. What have you learned? What have you discovered about yourself that's a strength, that's a weakness. What can you do? What can you not do? I want to encourage you. If you don't know how God has shaped you to serve Him through this church, spend some time this afternoon, this week. Ask God to make it clear how He has shaped you to be involved in the life and ministry of this church. If you think about it, you pray about it, you're still not sure, just do something. Experiment. We learn a lot of things by trial and error. We learn there's some things I just cannot do because we tried it. We learn sometimes there's something that I can do just by giving it a shot. Ask people who know you and will tell you the truth how they think maybe God has shaped you. Now, I want to encourage you, let somebody, you ask somebody that you think will tell you the truth, be prepared. When I first started preaching, I was 20 years old, 21 years old, and I'd go to places, and no matter what, people always came up to me afterwards and talked to me how how good it was. I told this one time, a long time ago. I went one place, and there was this older lady who was kin to me. I didn't know her, but she told me she was kin. I figured she was telling the truth. And she came up to me afterwards, and she looked at me and smiled. She said, don't worry about it, you're going to get better. And, uh, and I appreciated that. It let the air out of my bubble, you know. Brought me back down to reality. And sometimes you may need to tell somebody, don't worry about it. This ain't your gift. Or you will get better or something like that. But I want to encourage you. Look for ways to serve God by doing his good works in terms of living like a Christian living like or, or, or showing Christ-like character, right where you are right now in whatever your home, work, school, community involvement is, everyone in this room is not considered a gifted and talented individual in the big scheme of things. Everybody in this room was not a gifted and talented student in school. But if you are a Christian, you are a gifted and talented church member. I want you to understand that. Take it seriously. God has given you those gifts and talents for you to wisely manage. And one day, He's going to call you to give an account of how well you've managed them, how well you've used them. Ask God to help you to live your life in such a way that when judgment day comes, you're not going to be terrified. But by His grace, You're going to be ready to stand before him and tell him how you have at least attempted to be a faithful manager of the time, talents, and treasures that he has given you. Let's pray together. Father, show us now how you have shaped us Confirm to us how you've shaped us. And Father, I pray that people in this room who are serving you, they know how you've shaped them, they are serving. Affirm them, encourage them. Help them to know, dear God, that first and foremost, they are serving you. And help them, Father, to be faithful and leave the results with you. Father, if there are people in this room who who are out of shape, they're attempting to serve you in ways that they really aren't shaped to do, help them to see that and to change. Help them not to be miserable in what they do. Help them not to not want to come because they don't want to do what they have previously committed to doing. Help them to find their true shape where serving you will be a joy where they'll be affirmed. But Lord, if there are people in this room who are not doing anything with what you've given them, convict them that that's sin, that's laziness or selfishness or just plain indifference. Help them, dear God, to identify how you have shaped them then find a way to serve you in and through this church. Lord, even help us all to recognize how you have gifted us to be in this world making a difference as your workmanship. Let's just in an attitude of prayer respond to the Lord as he speaks to us. That's the, what this time is all about. But I would be happy to pray with you. Consider it a privilege if you'd like for me to pray during these next few minutes.